The purpose of a life is finding the largest burden that you can bear and bearing it. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassen behind the scenes. This quote leads perfectly in our guest today, Logan Scola, president and founder of the USD Strength Conditioning Club, national level powerlifter, engineering student, and a Yoakum Strength athlete. Logan has taken the burden and bearing it. One of the most driven and talkative guys I know, Logan discusses his journey into powerlifting and how he benched 405, how he put on 90 pounds in four years, the relentless pursuit, big goals, need, and his love for Pop-Tarts. This is a really awesome conversation that I enjoyed, and I hope that you guys are able to take something away from it. Thank you for listening. It's awesome to have you in studio today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing me out here. Yeah, I'm excited. Do you want to tell the people a little bit about yourself, how you kind of got into the world of powerlifting, strength conditioning, into the weight room, and how you never left? Sure. So I kind of got into lifting. Um, I was a pretty scrawny kid in high school. Uh, I was in, I played football and I wrestled. Um, What'd you wrestle at? What weight? Uh, seventh, so seventh, seventh and eighth grade, I was 119, 126. <laughs> yeah. My, then I was around like 150. And then for the majority of my high school career, I was around like 180. I was actually just reflecting the other day, um, about kind of like my new year's, uh, change. And like in the last four years, how my body's completely changed. I put on 70 pounds in the last four years. Uh, so, <laughs> and at my max, actually from my lowest low, four years ago when I had just come off of a pretty bad sickness actually jumped up to 90 pounds because before going into going to nationals powerlifting from there 90 pounds 90 so, pounds total in four years yeah so wrestling got me into the weight room I didn't really know what I was doing uh, a lot of people don't in high school that's like one of the things that kind of drove me to uh, engage in the activities that I do today and like try to empower other people uh, and then coming into coming to St. Thomas uh, it really changed my it presented a lot of opportunities for me to grow. I picked up kind of like each year I had a lifting buddy that I would kind of like outgrow. It was like I always had this relentless attitude that I wanted more than I think other people really wanted for themselves. So I would always I would like kind of meet someone. We'd lift together for a while. I would get stronger. I would get bigger or our schedules wouldn't match up. That was also pretty common. I'm not beating out anybody else. But yeah, it really taught me like relentless pursuit and uh, what I liked about just grew my love for, for lifting. Mm-hmm. So when in high school, you said that not a lot of people knew what they're doing. Did you have a coach in high school that got you in there in the first place? Or how, how did that start? Did you just show up because wrestlers were doing it and everybody else? Or how did that work? Yeah, we would do these. We had a like our wrestling coach, um, you know, classic dad bod, like kind of guy like yeah. I used to lift a lot, you know, um, still throw you around on the mat. But we would, yeah, the workouts, they just like didn't, they were interesting. Yeah. You, you, it wasn't like super planned out. I feel like reflecting upon the past is like completely different. So, yeah. gotcha. So you talk about 90 pounds total in four years, which I think <laughs> is something that a lot of, especially younger athletes going in, they tell me all the time, like, I want to put on weight. I want to gain weight. Like, this is what I want to do. What was kind of your process of gaining 90 pounds? Because uh, the first time I met Logan, he uh, came out for throwing. So they throw on the <laughs> USP track and field. And Logan walks in and he, he was like decently in shape. He was, he was ripped probably like, I would say 200 pounds at this time. Was I sophomore year? Right, right around there. He's probably two, right yeah. around 200 pounds. He had abs. He was like, he was all right. I see him the next year. And he looks like a monster compared to who he was. And I didn't recognize him right away. I was like, holy crap, that's the same kid. 
What was that <laughs> process like? And what what can you really give people from that? Um, that was right around the time when I actually like went down on injury. So I think having a setback caused me to like relentlessly pursue like my goals even more at the time. I realized that obviously throwing wasn't for me, but then that little piece of transition, I was like, I got torn down and I was like, I have to rebuild. And I just super compensated and I just like put in more than I ever had before because I want to like be better. And I was also like upset at being like set back from growing. So I don't know. I didn't think it was that much of a change. Yeah. <laughs> somebody else did. Gotcha. So in that, was it more time spent in the weight room, more time spent outside the weight room? What was the the process? I want, I want stuff to be able to give the people of what was the 90 pounds? It, I, the attitude of getting after what was, was it getting after eating more food and just committing to that was it getting after I'm actually going to lift weights and have a plan. And how did all that start? And how did it go from not having a coach in high school and graduating at 180 pounds to getting hurt? And then that flip switched. Now, where do you get this knowledge from? Was it other people? Was oh, it sure. how you started? So wherever I've gone, I've always tried to like not be the smartest person in the room and like try to absorb as much information as I can. Um, I'm big about reading online, uh, trying to pick up some books and especially here at St. Thomas, you have a lot of resources like Austin, or you have a lot of like the exercise science department or some of the trainers here. But what flipped it for me was every year you kind of just like get smarter and smarter and you always like try to like build and build. It's like, it's that, it's that whole pursuit. Some people kind of like to like, they like to bulk, they like to cut, they like kind of like yo-yo cause they think I'm going to get bigger, but I don't like how I look. And I've always just like really tried to focus on just being better than I was yesterday. So I cleaned up my diet um, because I, I couldn't work out as much. I increased the amount of calories, but just like mentally, I had to pull myself out of the hole because I was like, I'm injured, I'm upset. So then I kind of tidied up everything that was going on in my life. I ate better, I ate more. I was more efficient in the workouts that I could do. And I like put all my energy into the things that I could control. And I think that's what really like set up like got me momentum going into like where I am now. Yep. It's like that whole mental change. What would you say? Let's go. Let's break down the diet. What would you say your diet was like previous and then post? So you said you ate more. I used to like Pop-Tarts a lot. Pop-Tarts are your go-to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I used to be huge into Pop-Tarts, fruit snacks, big carb guy. I used to be like a really, really high carb diet. My body responds pretty well to like a low fat, high carb diet, especially to kind of fuel me as well as like for how I want to look. So um, I've kind of experimented here and there with like what kind of diet I feed myself and I'm pretty strict upon it. I've, I I pride myself on my discipline. It's something I picked up from wrestling. But um, so as far as like f- foods go, I was probably eating chicken, beef, a lot of eggs. I really, really like oatmeal. Um, I would throw honey, fruit, stuff like that in it. But like eliminating the Pop-Tarts, they got me big. But then I kind of realized I didn't exactly like how I looked. So then I kind of toned back on like the, like the processed foods and the sugars. And I, I still like pop tarts. So, you know, I'll eat them <laughs> here and there, but not every day. Yo, 400 calories, 80 grams of carbs to the dome. Yeah. It's quick, but I feel like crap. What were some of the mountains that you saw? You talked about injury. Maybe that was one of them, but what was the process and things that got you into this Valley? And then how did you get yourself out? Funny thing is the thing that got me into lifting was because I like, I wanted, I don't know, I wanted people to notice me. I wanted to like 
I wanted to be the man or so I think that was like initially I kind of started out in the valley and then um, coming to St. Thomas, you're in like a, you know, you're there's a bunch of dudes around you. Everyone's kind of like competing with each other as sad as it is. It's true. So then I always like wanted to do the things to get people to notice me. A lot of people like a lot of freshmen, they all just wear cutoffs. And like cutoffs, cutoffs, because all that matters, they want people to look at them. And like for me, that was something that I noticed that I was changing by like what I was wearing to the gym, how I was carrying, carrying myself to the gym, how I was interacting with other people. So like getting out of that valley was like, I need to focus on myself. I need to, you know, instill value in others. And after, you know, like I just couldn't care about what everybody else was thinking about me because that fueled me to ego lift and do dumb shit. And then that's not what hurt me, but it's, you know, it's what hurt me. It, I think it's what ultimately held me back from, from developing. And what was the injury that you talked about? Oh, I tore my labrum in my left shoulder. Okay. I think it was from wrestling. I don't remember. Just kind of popped up and it just like, so I actually went from benching. I was like benching like 335 to, I couldn't even bench a plate, 135. So like that was a huge ego hit. So then I, yeah, it was, that was pulling myself out of that valley and not beating myself up and like talking to myself negatively or like comparing myself to other people who weren't injured that were benching more than me. It was like, it was a huge thing, you know? Yep. You, you, you tear the shoulder. You're, you're in this valley of everybody. You're seeing everybody else do things that you're not able to do and that, you know, healthy you're able to do. Yeah. What was the process of rehabbing that shoulder and going from there? Uh, well, I worked with, I opted not to, I didn't, I could have chose surgery, went the surgery route, but I opted to not have surgery. Um, I think that, I mean, that was definitely the right decision or it didn't really matter. What I kind of did is I funneled that energy into my rehab and I like took pride in my rehab because I, I knew that I was doing a good thing for myself. And I was like all that energy that I normally put into like my workouts to make myself stronger, make myself better to grow. I put it into my rehab and I think that's what kind of got me back on top. Yep. And so during this rehab, were there any things where you're specifically focusing on some weakness where you came out, you were able to come out of this rehab better and stronger than you were before? Oh, yeah. What were some of the things that you focused on during that, that if you hadn't got injured, you wouldn't have had in your program? I probably would have just got injured. injured later. Yeah. <laughs> um, lower trap, trap three. Uh, that's like probably, you know, face pulls, trap three. That's like one of the biggest things that I see people. Most people perform face pulls incorrectly. And then a lot of people can't utilize like scapular retraction, yep. scapular depression. Um, and they overuse their traps on basically every single upper body movement known to man. So you want to describe that a little bit to the guests listening on how they could feel that scrap, scap retraction and depression? Um, so it can and be just how to. Uh, how to perform a, a face pull after you describe that as well. Sure. So it can be kind of tricky because when you want to retract your scapulas or depress them, a lot of people will pull their shoulders back. Um, they'll kind of like bottom out, you know, you go back as far as you can, but then you'll, you'll look at them and they'll be their Their shoulders will be, um, I'm exaggerating, but like they'll be up at their ears yep. and they will be, right. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but a lot of, a lot of guys that don't know how to use their scalps, that's exactly what you'll see is, the, the shoulder forward and towards their ears, just like yeah. Logan mentioned. Yeah, it's just, it, it's something that you have to be very patient with. And it was something that I wasn't patient with. And I got very frustrated about as Austin has known a little bit about me. I can get frustrated when things uh, can get tough and like these little micro things that are often neglected. So like moving into a face pull, um, you got to be able to pull those shoulders back and then also kind of 
engage your rear delts, engage your traps. Finish. It's hard to explain on over 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 the mic, I guess. But yeah. So what we're gonna try, what we're trying to do with these scaps is get that full range of motion. If you follow on Instagram or you see any of this stuff, we talk a lot about fascial trains and connections throughout the whole body. So if you have scapula that's not functioning and the traps functioning forward, that's going to lead to a lot of problems in the shoulder and progress down that arm region. So that's why Logan's talking about it's so important to make sure it, it might sound like a small muscle. It might smell, sound like a small exercise, but it's something that if you have a kink in that system, it's going to travel up to the bigger muscles. It's going to travel up to that shoulder. And if that shoulder is not functioning, that's where your bench press is going to suffer. That's where your chest is going to suffer. And you're really going to feel pain in those forward back, even pulling motions, but trying to keep that whole fascial system together and linked together. So when Logan says, says it's a small muscle, it is a small muscle, but these small muscles are usually what leads to big results down the chain. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard because especially if you've been exercising, like working muscles in the area for a long time, like if you have really strong traps and you have like a really good, like mind muscle connection with your shoulders or your rear delts or your rhomboids or your lats, it's really hard for somebody to target these small muscles if they don't know exactly what they're looking for and they have someone to maybe like critique their form and help them activate these things. So that's a lot of, that's kind of a hump that's like like why these Anatomy Tuesdays and these videos come into play is like you really need to know what you're trying to pinpoint so you can be effective. Otherwise, you're not gonna be able to gain control over those small things that make a very large impact. Yeah, and so I think I kinda wanna transition this right now into benching 405 because we're talking about the scap and that's one of the most important things in the bench and a lot of people think it's it's a lot of people think it's their chest and how big their (laughs) chest is for the bench press and honestly the chest is probably one of the byproducts it's the byproduct of a chest and if you want a good bench press it's not a big bench or it's not a big chest that leads to that big bench press it's those triceps in that back region so you want to describe that a little bit and I think even just take them through the whole journey of where you started with the bench pressing and then some of the progress that you made through there and where you started. Here are some changes that I made. This lead to set, led to some growth or some setback, and then we're able to go forward from there. Well, so one of my most visit, vivid memories actually is working out for wrestling and trying to bench 200 pounds when I was a sophomore in high school. And I think I did like a 30 second isometric halfway up because I just like I, I stuck and I was like, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. My shoulders are completely rolled forward, like completely out of whack. You're just like trying to, you know, move your hips. You can get leverage on one side of the bar. It's brutal. Um, so I didn't get it. I, I never benched 200. But then I was so concerned about like you would just let it bounce right off your chest. You would try to just catch as much momentum as you could. It was like when you first get into you're like, oh, bench press. Like everyone's like bench press, bench press. It's all chest. Like that's all you need to like feel. That's all you need to care about. So your shoulders are rolled forward. You're laying flat as a board on the bench, which is in some cases is fine. But, you know, there's no tightness. There's nothing. So then I kind of moved in. I actually benched 315 before I came to St. Thomas, and I don't even know how that worked out, really, even was possible. But I started working more on my tries. I kind of fell in love with arm training. You know, it's the best, so whatever. Um, But it was all about triceps, tricep strength. It was something that kind of was just easy for me. Uh, Some people, like, naturally, you know, they have really big shoulders. They're really strong in their shoulders or they're really strong in their chest. It's usually just, like, one thing they started doing before they did start to do everything else. It just came naturally to them. The movement patterns were good. That's fine. I think I was a super close grip bencher, like, completely stacked right over the shoulder joint and 
Yeah. So I was a big tricep bencher, not really a whole lot of chest. I had a really small chest, really small shoulders. It was all in my arms. Coming into school, obviously my chest, then my shoulder was torn. I couldn't really do anything overhead, any chest at all. It kind of transitioned to really like building from the ground up. So that's when I started focusing on the chest, focusing on the shoulders, focusing on the back. But even before my bench was kind of stagnant around like 365 before I met, um, before Austin and I started working together. And then he opened up my eyes to how important the back was because I, I was like, I always had this philosophy. It's either chest, shoulders, or triceps. If you're not, if you can't bench, if your bench is stagnant, you're plateauing, it's one of the three. And then I really didn't consider how important it was like your setup and your tightness and then just like that back power. So working with Austin, we really focused on um, practice, practice, practice the setup, getting tight, um, handling larger loads than I was used to. Um, incorporating those back muscles and then activating my lats because my lats were super, super huge for it. And I think that's what got me benching 405 is just like all the little things and really honestly evaluating my weak points and weighing how much they actually mattered to. So like you could say my weak points, my chest, I don't like how my chest looks or I think my chest is weak. Well, in the grand scheme of things, your chest isn't probably why you're missing that bench. Mm -hmm. It's something else. But in your mind, you're like, well, I want a bigger chest, so I should work more chest. Yeah. And I want my bench to go up at the same time. You got to really be deliberate on what you want out of it. And I think this is one thing. I, I want to go with two points here. One, the weak points that you talked about. I think this is with anybody to where if you are doing your own programming or you're doing your own things, you're going to do what you want to do and not right. what you need to yes. do. And this is a big thing. Even like even I have my own coach. Like everybody has or should, if they're performing for something, yes. have their own coach to get that weak point evaluation to be able to be like, all right, I love doing arms or chest. Like Logan has huge triceps. Like his arms are massive. Does Logan need to do more triceps yes. or is it a different <laughs> is it a different <laughs> movement pattern that we need to work? So I think that's one thing is taking this step back and realizing, all right, my wants versus my needs. Yeah. Can somebody else see my needs? Or even if you see your needs, a lot of times it's the ego that gets in the way of I see them, but I it, my wants are bigger than my needs right now. Second part that I want to talk about, you talk about getting tight. Can you explain that? I know you wrote an article for us on the Yoakam Strength website, but can you explain what getting tight in the bench press means and kind of the whole setup? Because you see a lot of people in the weight room and it's just kind of throwing themselves flat on the bench and then ripping the bar over and then getting bro spotted on their way up. But there's not a ton of setup at all. And especially with a lot of my athletes, I tell them the whole time, like the bench is a full body lift and you need to be able to engage everything. Can you talk a little bit about your setup and process of learning it and then how you can teach people some simple cues that they can take away right now? Well, it should not be comfortable, especially if you're trying to move weight. I get it. Some people aren't, you know, they're not trying to hit a big arch, get super tight and go for a one rep max all the time or anything like that. But you really want, it's not going to be comfortable. Um, so the biggest thing that anyone can benefit from on the bench press is setting those shoulders, scapular retraction, scapular depression, and getting those shoulders set on the bench. And then proper bar height on the rack is a big thing as well. So, um, if you're going to pull that, if that bar is too close to your face, once you get it, once it's heavy enough, you're probably not going to be able to unrack that in a reasonable manner to stay tight. If it's too high, you're going to have to, your shoulders are going to come out of place because you're going to have to push, push the bar out of the rack rather than kind of pulling the bar out of the rack, which is something that I talk about a little bit. 
Um, once you get that bar off the off the hooks, you kind of pull it out. You get tight with your back. You utilize you utilize your back. Um, and then another thing is pulling the bar. So it, you you notice it's kind of some central themes of like retraction. So you're pulling your shoulder blades back. You're pulling the bar out of the rack. You're pulling the bar to your chest. So just kind of that's one. That's probably like the what I want to touch on is just like pull to the push. Yeah, for sure. And I think. Again, two parts here is the pull. How do you work the pull? You do pull exercises. So yeah. I think that's, I, I think that helps. I, I like that you pulled that up because I think that helps illustrate why the back is so important in the bench press. Second thing that I want to talk about is the unracking portion because I think I see this a lot of guys get their whole setup, they get ready to go, they have their scaps back, they're retracted, they're ready to go. And then on their setup, they push the bar out oh. and they throw their shoulders forward. And it doesn't matter how you set up with that bar. If as soon as you unrack, you throw those shoulders forward and round them forward like you're sitting in a chair rounded forward. So you can talk about maybe just the importance of that pullover, that lap pullover motion, and then the importance of having a spotter to unrack that for you to be able to end with the spotter, talking about not lifting the bar up, but pulling the bar up just, with you. Just barely clear those. Um, well, same, so same thing with with the, the, the rack height where you've got your hooks on it. If the spotter has to pull the hook, pull it over the hooks and then your shoulders come out during that until you get it you know so it's like pull it your shoulders yep. come out to stay with the bar and then you have to retract but it's, it's too, it's, it's it's too be- low but if it's too high that they have to set while the bar is dynamically moving and they're trying to get set you know you really want to set it up so then you can just pull it over and just like it's like just a you know just enough to clear it out of there yeah and i think this is a lot of people struggle using like we talked about earlier using those scaps just standing and keeping that good posture standing. Now try doing it with 300 pounds on the bar. Yeah. It, it's very, very hard to fix your setup after you unrack the bar. So making sure we're in a good setup position and then pulling that bar over and engaging that lat, staying in that position, not trying to reset after you have this 300 pound bar right over your head, trying to pull those scaps back. That's gonna be impossible. Your shoulders are gonna be stuck in a bad position. Um, so a lot of people they'll, they'll 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 look at the bar as it's coming down and they'll kind of pick pick their head up once it gets like towards yeah. their chest. You can you don't have to slam your head into the bench in, in in powerlifting. Obviously, you have to keep your head firmly planted on the bench. But um, when some people kind of look for it, what they do is they end up their shoulders come forward and they kind of like start digging their body and then they they end up sinking the bar really low and it causes their shoulders to to pull forward just like we talked about earlier. So if you can at least keep your head roughly in the same place, it's going to allow you to keep your chest high, keep your chest in the same place. Yep. And this is this goes back to those fascia lines, too, is if your neck is being strained and your neck is pulling, it's going to pull on other parts of the body lower in the thing uh, in the body. And it's going to pull on that back muscle. It's going to pull on that scap, trying to compensate for where the neck is going. So if that neck is not in a good neutral spine position and it's not pressing back, being activated, you're losing a lot of torque on that bar that you could have on the bar by keeping that neck in the neutral position. You see a lot of, I would say bodybuilders are probably notorious for it, for pulling that head up. And that's not only affecting and looking goofy and affecting that neck area, but it's actually affecting how much torque you're able to put through that bar with the rest of the body and the stability. Uh, Next thing that we we talked about the whole upper body, but we talked about how that bench press is a full body lift. Can you talk about your lower body setup and the legs through there? I always use the term happy feet. So I, yeah. Uh, yeah, the biggest thing I see is people they're like tap dancing, you know, um, especially <laughs> the worst is if someone's trying to like hit a max or something and you see a leg kick 
that's really bad. But it, you can just walk by and people like their feet are shifting around. You want to get firmly planted. So as you're um, either before or as you're unracking that bar, you're firmly planting your feet and you're 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 getting in that almost like an uncomfortable position, but you're going to stay there. So you got to commit to it because if you move your feet, so what you're doing when you plant your feet is that's like your foundation for tightness. So in your upper body, you're setting your shoulders. That's your upper body foundation. In your lower body, you're setting your feet. Um, you know, some people like to go heels up or heels down, doesn't matter. Um, but be deliberate and firm. So we've got upper body shoulders, lower body feet, and then that's how we maintain and we achieve tightness in the lift. Yeah. So yeah, hips, hips on the bench. I like to do one foot then the other, and I kind of just wedge myself into position. And then, you know, you can unrack the bar there. Uh, if the weight's really heavy, you probably want to do it before. You yeah. And with the, with this lower body, another cue that you can do is you should not be able to move somebody's lower body when they're in this bench. So, uh, one thing that you can do if you want to check your partner or if you're a coach and you want to check your athlete to see if they have a good setup, try and push their legs when they're set up in the bench press. And if they're moving or they're flailing all over the place, if you're able to easily move that leg, their setup is not strong enough. You should be planted into the ground. Uh, almost if like you were Full, squatting to where fully you fully flexed. Yeah, fully flexed to where you should not be able to move it. Glute squeezed, everything squeezed. So I think this just reiterates how the tightness in the lift, it, it, it really is a full body lift. And if you're bench pressing just with that upper body, not only is that going to take away from the how much, how much you bench, which I think is important for power lifters, but let's go athlete wise. If you don't have this setup, your shoulders are going to be in a very vulnerable position while you bench. And if we don't have good programming to where we're using a lot of upper bo- upper back work compared to our upper chest work, we're going to have really rounded forward shoulders and we're going to struggle with a lot of these shoulder pains. That's why I see a lot of football players complaining of shoulder pains or having shoulder um, surgery because their program is not set up. And then when they do a ton of upper body pressing, they don't have this set up. So this is why it's important in the athletic realm. The powerlifting realm, obviously, like it sets you up to build a bench press more yeah. in the meathead world. Like everybody wants to bench press more. This setup, I've seen people put on 30 pounds on their bench press by setting up correctly. Yeah. And they, they think you're a wizard because of this. It's <laughs> like, no, you're just using your full body throughout this lift. It's like squatting with no upper back, that type of thing. But being able to keep that connection with the body and be able to go forward to be able to keep our shoulders healthy and stay strong through there. The, the whole shoulder health with the, the athlete injuries and everything too, just being proactive about learning how to set up correctly, act, actively setting up correctly each and every time, practicing that, but then working on those, that scapular retraction, the face pulse, working all those small little muscles really helps you down the line for injury prevention. And like, once you realize I'm too weak to set up for this bench and keep that tightness, I need to work on these micro movers in the back it's huge because then down the line like i have have not had any single shoulder injury since and yeah. i have doubled my bench press i've put more mass on i do probably you could you know riskier lifts or i you know yeah. i do i put a lot of volume through the, my shoulders and they yeah, if you have the, if you have the small parts of the chain and the, the force is flowing through the right parts of your body the likelihood of injury is a lot lower yeah. uh, to whereas even if it's a smaller force but there's kinks in the system there's kinks in the fascial system there's a lot more likelihood of injury so not only are you weaker you're more prone to injury so make sure we're taking care of these small things next thing i want to transition to is we, we dove into the 
bench press pretty pretty yeah, in depth yeah. and th- this is this is one of the goals of the podcast is trying to get people some takeaways on the bench press but i want to dive into powerlifting so logan was a big lifter he he was always in the weight room he's always doing these things but only recently uh last year one and a half year, one year year he got into powerlifting so the actual sport of competing at meets and going to the meets and training for something not just being in the weight room and being a monster of a human so i want to talk about what was that mindset shift to get you into powerlifting compared to just lifting? And what was the whole journey like? How, what did you learn from it? Was it more, what was the difference between just lifting for fun and powerlifting and when it's a sport, when you have to compete and the whole journey? Um, well, I learned that I have terrible nerves. I perform under pressure, but I have terrible nerves. Um, that was, that's like, if you look at powerlifting for me, that's like one of the biggest takeaways. The powerlifting community, um, I think as a whole, is really supportive and that was something that I thought was really cool to see. Everybody wants to see each other succeed uh, for, the, for the most part, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a sport, it's competitive, so there is some competition there. Um, but yeah, so like Austin said, I, I did my first meet last December, um, so December of 2018. Um, so that was my first meet and then right around February, I started working with you to go into my next meet uh, around is like April 15th. Do you want, can you uh, talk about your, your first meet that first meet before we even talked about anything and how that went and what your training leading up to that was and how you got into actually doing that first meet? Uh, well, I actually come right off of Squattober. Okay. Uh, squat every day in October. Um, that was, it's pretty fun. Uh, it was tough, really, really tough, but I helped, helped get my squat up for sure. But then, so I was not prepared for like max outs really um my training was more you know power building power like i always like lifting heavy i thought it was awesome but i i was i've always been concerned about like kind of how i looked like i wanted to kind of like, absolutely yeah um my waist is too thick now to ever do physique but uh <laughs> so yeah um i think the meat the meet was actually like a super wild ride. It was it was actually really awesome. I'll never forget it. Um, I was I kind of came from behind, and one thing um, I was up against this guy named Diamond Jenkins. He was like my we like were like head to head in the 105 kilogram weight class. I was weighing about 215 at the time, and I was we were lifting in the 206 to 231 weight class. Um, and he so I was leading going into squats. I think I was leading him by maybe like 10 kilos, like 20 pounds. Um, and then he benched 402 and I was like, holy crap, like I want to do that, you know? And the funny thing is that we, now that we talked about it, I never thought that I would ever bench 405 when I first started lifting. Mm-hmm. I, I do, it didn't even register. I'm like, and for the most part, I was like, man, powerlifting, powerlifters are weird. They suck. Like I'm never doing that. <laughs> so, you know, check, check, I guess. But so that meet went great. Um, it was super awesome. A lot of like really supportive. It was like a collegiate meet. So there weren't a ton of people there. Um, so yeah, so diamond bench 402. And then I ended up winning because he missed his third attempt deadlift. I think I pulled like 570 and he was going for like 580 or something like that. Cause he was leading me, um, coming out of bench and I pulled just enough to, to beat him. So got my first, my first meet win, I guess. And then, yeah. What else do you want to know about that meet? So I want to know how you got the ball rolling to be like, I'm going to go from lifting to powerlifting. Mm, you, okay. you you went from squat-tober, but what made you be like, 
I'm going to sign up for this meet and now compete because that's a totally different mindset. That's a totally different thing than just maxing out with your bros in the gym to going to a meet and having having a competition. So what was the what was the what was the mindset of being able to make that switch? I think I've kind of learned over time that like new experiences and like new challenges and things to work for. Um, that's what causes me to grow and like stepping outside of my comfort zone. And like I said before, I thought powerlifting was like powerlifters were weird and like uh, or like all, all they did was lift heavy or something like they didn't care about what they look. I mean, I kind of maybe upset that narrative a little bit because I kind of tried to be relatively thin the whole time. And like I wanted to be looking good while still like putting on a ton of mass um, to max out my weight class. So that that whole mindset change was like, you know, I think this is going to be a worth a worthwhile opportunity. It's certainly something that, you know, I'll try it and see if I like it. And it, it turned out I did. And then I, you know, it's like I like it. I'm going to put more of my effort towards it and I'm going to put more into it. Mm-hmm. And even even when I'm like, I'll try something. Um, I didn't half ass it. Yeah, I still went at it. But I don't think like. There's like that, I'll try something. I'll put my effort for it. That's like that 90%. If you really want something, you put that 101, that 102. You 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 make that mindset change. You're like, this is worth it. This is going to be worth it. I'm going to go the extra mile. Yep. And you did you think the when you won, you think that got you a little bit of addicted and hooked to it? Is oh, that, sure. Yeah. yeah. That was sweet. I, a bunch of people like jumping up and down. Yeah. And even though it was like, you know, probably his first meet too. I didn't go into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to be good at this yeah. or like, I'm going to be super competitive. So yeah, certainly got me, got me a little hooked. And then I kind of just like sat in the back of my mind for a little bit. And then I was like, you know, let's make a run. This is something that I really want to go forward with. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was, I think this is another key part. What was your, and I don't actually know the answer to this. What was your driving factor to reaching out to me to be a coach? Like why, what, what made you think, all right, because if people know Logan, like Logan loves his programming, loves doing <laughs> his own programming and loves doing like his thing. So this is why I'm actually interested in what made you be like, I need somebody else's help. Because I think that's important. I think a lot of in any aspect of life, if somebody needs help, it's tough for them to reach out and actually ask for that help. And this is a small microism of that because it's lifting. But how can that progress to life? Like what made you reach out and what made you think? I need help. I need somebody to guide me through this. Well, I think it ties into that. I think like I can, like, I'll try, I'll try this, you know, like that was about the time when you guys were doing the gauntlet on the, on the track, you know, around, like I, I'd seen you, you know, go, that summer you'd been posting a lot about getting like right when you graduated, when you were training all those football players. Yep. And then I, that was kind of in the back of my mind. And like, I would, I would, I remember I would always make fun of you and like mess around because we were like the two meatheads. Yep. Um, and um, so then that was in the back of my mind. Then after that, I was kind of like, well, you know, I've been doing my own thing for a long time. And a lot of like very successful people have coaches. And, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really see it from like a systematic viewpoint of like how beneficial a coach could be in your like athletic pro, like performance in your programming. So I was like, you know, I think this is worth a try. And then I kind of like reached out to you on the IG. Right. But I didn't like if in hindsight, like I I didn't look at it like, wow, Austin's going to make me do things that I don't want to do. Like I hate Bulgarian split squats. (laughs) (laughs) And I love them. (laughs) Reverse lunges. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. You you had made me do uh, like time. It was like four or six minute 
uh, it was like how many reps you can get like kettlebell or like goblet squats. Yep. I remember that. I puked. <laughs> <laughs> and like I would have like people do it with me. So then I could be like, wow, like this isn't so bad that like, you can do it with me. Or like I'm doing badass training. <laughs> Jump on with me. And they would always beat me. So I'd be like, <laughs> I'm like yeah, I'm, I should be a power lifter, man. 100 reps. Nuh-uh. But I think the one thing that I, a huge takeaway of that is like having somebody else program for you is like they make you do the things that are going to make you better that you don't want to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, in the main thing is you need to invest in somebody that wants more for you than sometimes you want for yourself. Like that's something that's absolutely huge. And I think I don't know if I kind of let you just be like a ex- little bit experimental with me right away. Yeah. Like you set out a plan. I remember the first time that I walked in and we met about it and you had like you know, 25 weeks planned out. You had everything planned out all the way to nationals. Yeah. So, you know, and like, that's like kind of when you get that trust ball rolling, like you, you put your trust in somebody because they plan for you. They show you and they, they help you try to envision your results. And I blew my goals away that we set. Yeah. And, but even then, like those goals were like, I thought that's going to be your reach. Good luck. So it's like, even then, they help you set a goal. They make goals that are, you know, greater than you wanted. Before. And then you get that trust ball rolling. And then you just continue to put the time in. You put, you continue with that motivation. Um, but you, ultimately, you develop discipline because mm-hmm. you know discipline is what's going to be there when there's no motivation. And so, I, I, I think that's an awesome point that you said. Is you, the coach is not going to make you an All-American. The coach is not going to make you the best power lift. The coach is not going to make you bench 405. What the coach is going to do is allow you to reach your potential. Yeah. By, like you said, it's it's that discipline factor. and It's having that little extra bit of support, that little extra bit of guidance. But as a coach, my biggest thing is I just need to give this – most people, all they need is just a little push. That you, you cannot drag a person along for a long time and allow and expect that to work out. If that person is not motivated, if that person is not – passionate about what we're doing. It's not going to work regardless. The best successes that I've had working with athletes, working with Logan is somebody that just needs a push in some regard, a push in the discipline of the programming, a push in attacking the weaknesses, just a tiny push. So I, I love that you brought it up because really it, it, it's all the athlete. Like it's never the coach. The coach just gets to guide the athlete on the path and help them see a little bit farther than they're able to see. And I definitely experienced that as an athlete myself. The same thing is you're the one doing all the work. But a lot of times when you're doing that work, you can't see the greater picture because you're so focused on the the microism. You're so focused on that day of bench press. You're so focused on that day of Bulgarians that you really can't see the grand scheme of things. And that's something that I'm going to recommend it again in any part of your life that you are struggling in a coach or a mentor in some way. That's what they help you do. They just help you see the broader picture. And that, and, that, and, like the, and that coach or mentor could even be a book. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Just some sort of guidance, some sort of thing that is seeing farther than you are seeing right now. And, and you know, invest in people that want the best for you, that want more for you than, you know, that, that you want for yourself. That's something huge. It's like, yeah, I, like you and I have been on a journey together. I yeah. won't even, it's not even a lifting thing. It's, it's a lot more than that. Um, one thing too, when you talked about that day of benching, so like, especially with your favorite lift, you can kind of get caught up in the traffic and you're like, you know, this is my favorite. I have to, I have to put my all in today. I want to, you know, break PRs. What was it? 
the most overused phrase that you used with me all summer. Trust the process. Yep. Because I, I sucked at that, you know? But, but that time, like, that, that coach is there for you to, you know, you, 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 you instilled your trust in them. And, and sometimes, even with coaching, some people can't put their trust in you. But one thing they do is they, they may invest. Like, they, they pay for a program initially until they realize like, wow, this is a very good thing for me. And then they get that trust. Yeah. So sometimes just giving a little bit of yourself away to that coach is what's going to double your returns immediately. And it's, this is, this is pretty cool because you're, you're going to be the second podcast this season and you were, you were two for two on talking about uh, trust being the most important thing in the coaching relationship. So Jake Tura, we had on last week mentioned the same exact thing. He's like, none of it matters if you don't have that base foundation of trust built up with your athletes, built up with the people above you. So I want to talk about a little bit of when you're, you're in that valley, what, and I get, we had a relationship before, so maybe that's part of it, but what is something that you think that you did or other people can do to really, when somebody says trust the process for you to buy into that? Oh shit. That's tough. Um, this isn't always true, but that like, if they've got some results to back it up, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to go in blind and really just like put your trust in somebody, it kind of depends on what you have riding on it. Like it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's like a case by case basis almost. And it's like how trusting you are of others to really like pull yourself out of that value. Um, no, 100%. And I, I, I agree. I mean, it's not an easy question that like there's, you make millions of dollars talking about buy-in and building trust. Like the, the biggest speakers in the world, that's what they do to companies is they go there and talk about buy-in and trust. So I just wanted to know kind of your view of things, but I think that's, I think that's right is, has this person done something in the past? And then how has this person related to you that they have done this in the past and they can do this for you? Well, and, and, and a huge thing, now that you bring that up, thank you for that, that, helped, that helps, me, helps me out a little bit, is that, you know, in your mission statement, you talk about investing value in other people, right? Mm-hmm. So like what you did is like you kind of invested value in me as a person, as a lifter, as a friend before that. So you developed that relationship. You gave some of yourself to me and then, you know, it, it comes full circle. So yeah. that, that trust can be built upon this foundation of like you're investing your time or like your effort to maybe give me a, a critique on my form if I ask you or a spot and then you you demonstrate that like this is a good thing like you, I developed that trust with you so that when it's time I can give you more of myself because I know that you're going to be there yeah and I, I love that the, the full circle thing is is big because not only am I, I I need the trust from you but you also need the trust from me like if I'm not trusting you to be able to do the thing and this is where we talk about trusting the process I, I would tell Logan that but I knew he was he was going to do the program through that he would complain about it or he would have something <laughs> to say but again that that as a coach that helped me working with Logan has probably been one of the most helpful things in pushing me forward as a coach because Logan challenges things so <laughs> I, which is good uh, when I ask for feedback with a lot of my athletes a lot of people a lot of times they don't know their bodies well enough or they're just not attuned enough in lifting which is all right they're athletes that's their thing to not challenge, they're like, I feel good. This works. This works. This works. Everything doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Logan will be like, This doesn't work. How can we fix it? And maybe there's a bigger picture. But being able to explain things was was awesome working with Logan because it's like, All right, either this doesn't work, or I need to find out 
why it's not working or it does work and I just need to explain it better to Logan about what we're trying to accomplish in this phase. Right, absolutely. Because like you, you might you might feel great, but you should feel great going into like a powerlifting meet. You know, like the week of, like you're not lifting. You know, you might want to be lifting or something, but you have to rest. You yep. have to explain we're reducing training volume here because we're looking for, you know, super compensation and like that rest period so we can max out. Or it's it's not it's not always about like I have to go to the gym so I can get this endorphin release or feel good about myself or I have to feel I, I only feel good when I hit one rep maxes. It's like no, the whole trusting the process, trusting the plan that was laid out for you so that you can achieve like optimal results. And when they're not going your way, that's when you have that honest conversation and, and having that self-awareness and coach trusting you that you have that self-awareness to be able to challenge their calls or 100%. challenge what you're writing down. I think this is a good time to transition to Tommy's strength and balance in life. Absolutely. And just talking about how Tommy strength got started. And then I want to dive into a little bit of you, you have Tommy strength, you have school, you have powerlifting. What are some tips for balancing all of this? Okay. Should I, should I start with Tommy strength, tell everybody about it and then move into the balance? Yep. Let's do that. All right. So, um, a big, if you, if you know who I am, I've probably given you, um, could be good, could be bad form critique or some random comment in the gym because I love talking to people. Um, it kind of is off-putting to some people that I'm just like so forward and upfront. But with Tommy Strength and like my whole lifting career in general, I wanted to give back to other people because I didn't have that information. I didn't have that bond like when I was starting out. So um, like October of 2017, I was like, I kind of want to start, i like, I want to start like some sort of lifting club. And it initially was like a straight up strength and conditioning club. And then we kind of, so then I, that's when I was like, I met Jordan Dick and I met Jordy Chavez and, um, I kind of, and I was like lifting with Dakota Anderson, who's graduated already. But, um, and I was like, I realized that to impact enough people and to have it grow, I couldn't do it alone. So technically I would consider myself the lead founder, but I am part of a co-founder team. Yep. Um, so, but then, so now like that whole passion is like, I've realized that like a value of mine is helping other people, like instilling value in others. Um, because I know in some way or form and it's okay if it doesn't, it'll come back to me and I don't do it because of that, but it makes, it makes me truly happy to be able to help other people. Yeah. And Tommy strength is a wonderful platform for that. Um, just a quick kind of what we do. Um, we provide educational programming um, for students here at the university. Pretty much anybody can come to our stuff. Uh, we uh, like to bring people in like we, we bring in Austin or we bring in um, like professionals from the area or we utilize the wonderful staff here at St. Thomas to um, provide information that it's like it's hard to digest in some formats that are presented like on the Internet yeah. or we kind of debunk some of the the gym bro science crap on the internet. Um, and then we also just want to create community and, um, yeah, it's wonderful. So then, uh, now we started with like 15, 20 people, um, October, 2017. And I'm, I'm really excited to say that we have like over 200 members now. So it's really growing. I think, um, people are really catching wind and it's like, you get out what you put into it. Mm-hmm. So I think like, just like, being true to like what our mission statement is and like adding value to other people's lives. People realize that and they're attracted to Tommy strength. 
Yeah, and which and I think one really cool thing is there during that last uh, last meeting that I went to, I've checked a couple of them out, is they were talking about females in the weight room and the females got to talk a little bit about how they felt Tommy Strength improved the community in the weight room and how close everything was to where they're not feeling uncomfortable in the weight room, which I thought was a really cool part. Not only are you guys educating, but it's building up a little bit of the community to where now people that want to lift and they want to grow, they have a group of people to come back to to be like, I don't feel comfortable squatting. Can you teach me how to squat? I don't feel comfortable in here alone. Can you come with me? That type of thing, which I thought was one of the coolest things of the whole group is like you guys are providing that knowledge. just like a lot of other clubs. You're providing all of these things for people to grow outside of the weight room. But then also when they go in the weight room, they have a group of people to go with and go forward with. Yeah. And we, we've been lucky enough. Um, I applied for two grants here from the university uh, and it's the university's kind of like network. So I put, you know, a good amount of equipment into the gym. so like the other students can, can utilize, but then also when we'll have like, um, we'll open up the gym or before it's other people can get there. It's like a private session where we can teach and instruct in a, a non pressure filled environment. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that's attractive to some people who aren't really into that. So good. So then the last part that we want to talk about here before we get to our rapid fire round is how does Logan balance all of this? I think a lot of people struggle with, they have too many things going on in their life or they oh, yeah. feel like they do. How can you, how do you balance all of this and make it work with your life? Um, what are some of the habits? Preparation is huge. Um, be prepared is something that's kind of stuck with me uh, through my whole life. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, and especially like I'm really, you know, I'm good with my diet. So like I'll cook all my meals and I'll, I'll meal prep. I'll set up my gym bag. And I kind of like for a long time, I planned my days around lifting rather than around like my actual life um, because that's just, like how important it was to me and like my mental health because it's probably not the greatest thing, but I, I, I got my confidence and my security as a person from lifting, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's kind of toxic when you look back on it and how much like you could grow and like, you know, what your values could be. But at that time, that's what was getting me through. Yeah. And it started the physical foundation building, which allowed you to branch out a little bit into the mental and spiritual realms, but trying to grow all three, I think it's what you're trying to get at is would have been better growing all three together. But I think, the gym helps people kickstart that a little bit. Absolutely, get the ball rolling. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, it I never had a ton, like a real tough time balancing lifting in school. Um, you know, I would hit the gym for two hours a day. Um, you know, five six days a week, and it was like not, and it didn't really like kill my schedule at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that was kind of tough is maybe, maybe like harmed some of my like friendships or something or like not harmed it but inhibited the time that I could be doing other things but then a lot of my friendships were cultivated in the gym so it was like a time for me to see all my friends and especially now with Tommy Strength like I'll be in the gym sometimes for almost four hours because I'll get there I'll talk to people um, you know I'm excited to 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 connect with these Tommy Strength members people that know me my friends and then I'll hit my lift and then people will ask me for spots blah 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 Um, but so that it helped or it made it a little bit more difficult to balance that, especially going into nationals. That was during, uh, midterms. I had some other things going on in my life as well. Um, but the balance, it, it all comes down to being prepared, 
weighing what matters most to you, like your value system. And if you value the gym, you're going to make time for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're having trouble, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling burned out with your schedule, you just need to step back, view it systematically, what you value, and then you can make time for what matters to you. For sure. I love that. Be proactive and then prioritize. Let's transition now to the rapid fire round. Sure. So your answers don't have to be rapid fire, but the questions are going to be rapid fire more of a different pace. So let's go favorite books. What are some of the books that you think you really enjoyed that the listeners can get a lot of value out of? Um, well, what started my, my reading journey was Austin. Uh, in a time of need, he sent me uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, one of the best books I've ever read. Um, I, I wasn't like I haven't really read a lot of books in a long time. Um, but I'm, I actually made a goal this year that I want to read between, you know, 12 and 15 books this whole year. Um, I think there's a lot of value in reading and making time for things like reading, you know, like self, self improvement. Um, another one of the books that I'm actually listening to on audible, um, a lot of times when I, when I'm driving, it's called, I think it's, um, unfuck yourself. Yep. It's like it's got a lot of like personal affirmations, which I'm not exactly super set on. But I think a lot of the individual chapters break down very meaningful things to think about. And, it, and if you don't take anything out of it, like I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. It at least cultivates some thought yep. and really gets the the wheels turning in your head. Sure. All right. Who's a guest that you think we should have on this podcast? Somebody that you can really challenge us to get on and that you think would be a good fit for the listeners and could pro- provide a lot of value. Dr. Sean Nybauer. He's actually kind of a personal friend of mine, um, but he's someone like you that instills a lot of value in people. Um, he, so he's a chiropractor. Okay. Um, treats a lot of like upper level athletes and he, all the way down to uh, like, like babies and everything like that, you know, runs a very successful, um, fastest growing practice in Minnesota. Um, but I think you just realize like how genuine somebody is. And I think that he would have a lot of value to add to this podcast. And, uh, you know, he came to Tommy strength. A lot of people really uh, enjoyed what he had to say. And especially if you got him in a setting like this, that you could get a lot out of him. Boom. Let's do that. That's for sure going to happen. All right. So what's next for you? What's, uh, what's Logan's end goal and what, when you leave this planet or you leave UST, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, right now, um, slim thick. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, I'm down like 15, 15, almost 20 pounds from powerlifting. Um, my body, like I'm pretty in tune with how my body feels and I just like wasn't feeling the greatest. Um, so as far as physical goals, I'm kind of I, I got a little bit burned out from powerlifting. So I'm stepping back um, from that right now. I'm still lifting heavy. Just really enjoying what I'm my time in the gym. Um, as far as leaving St. Thomas, I really want to set Tommy Strength up for success because I think it's something that's really important for a lot of the students here. Um, so as I'll be graduating in the spring, um, just like really um, setting up a foundation of leadership and like kind of like leadership roles that we're gonna um, like mentorship almost this spring to cultivate um, something that we have when we leave. And I just like want, if someone asks you like Logan Shola, like I want them to say he made a difference in my life. 
It's like that's some that's like my legacy. That's what drives me is I want to make a difference in people's lives. For sure. All right. Last question. And this is kind of our our big question and what a lot of guests listen to for your billboard message. So somebody comes to you, they're, they're in that valley, they're in that tough spot, they're coming back from an injury, a breakup, a job, something big in their life just happens. What is that one minute message that you can give them to push them forward in life? Um, evaluate your value system. I wouldn't lead with that because that's tough because that can kind of scare people. But at the core, when you have nothing left, you have your pursuit. You have your relentless pursuit. So like even if you can't, if you can systematically evaluate like where you are, who you are and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So like those kind of like those signposts. Um be relentless in your pursuits, whatever they are. Just don't half-ass anything. Yep. So, you know, if 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 you decide that in the hole that you're at that you want to stay there, don't half-ass it at least, but you know, if you just like a big thing too that I talk with a lot of my friends is they'll say, I don't lift as much as you. Well, okay, that's fine. But don't compare yourself to me. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Make that, you know, one step turns into two steps, turns into three steps. And just be relentless. Never stop moving. Yeah, I love that. Staying on the path, moving forward, being proactive. Good stuff. Thanks for being in the studio today, Logan. Absolutely. Thank you. Keep chopping wood.